0: This idea of reminding people of their humanity, but also if there's not a place on a team for you to show up in your full humanity because of leadership, how are we then to expect people to just turn on their curiosity and their humanity on calls with prospects, right? So I really think that Mm -hmm. it it starts with our our sales culture, really. Team culture to give permission to people because we are all innately curious. All of us as human beings are curious in our lives about something, but when it isn't safe to be curious, Mm -hmm. We shut it down.
1: Hi friends, welcome to the WinRate Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Maya Rose. And Maya is one of my guests on this episode of the WinRate Podcast. Maya is co-founder of The Practice Lab. My other guests today for this really interesting discussion about sales effectiveness, the buyer experience, and increasing win rates are Joanne Black. Joanna is the founder and creator of No More Cold Calling. She's also the author of best-selling books, including No More Cold Calling, which is really the definitive guide for referral selling. Also joining us is Jodi Geiger. Jody is the host of Winning as Women podcast, and she's a revenue enablement coach at Clue. One quick item of business before we jump into today's discussion over 50,000 sellers and sales leaders subscribe to receive my weekly newsletter. It's called Win Rate Wednesday, and maybe you should too. Each week you receive one actionable tip to accelerate your win rates and a bunch of other great sales advice as well. So to subscribe, visit my website, andypaul.com right there on the homepage. You can sign up. Okay, if you're ready, let's jump into this discussion. Welcome, everyone. A pleasure to see you all, and thank you for joining me. Just going to spend a couple, few minutes on introductions. We'll start with you, Mayor Rose. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I am a sales coach and trainer who, a couple years ago, set out to bridge the gap that I think that many of us experience in sales between all of the great information that we know in our heads about how to sell effectively, and then our ability to to do it when mm-hmm. the pressure's on. So I created a company called The Practice Lab to help bring something called deliberate practice to sales teams so that they can turn what they know in their minds into something that they can do in their selling.
1: Love it. Perfect. Yeah. John Black.
0: Yes, yeah, so
2: I don't think anybody should have to cold call or send a cold email or cold outreach on social media. And I founded my company in 1996 when I realized, oh, my gosh, referrals are the best business. And I asked salespeople and sales execs, tell me, do you like to get referrals? And they gave me this whole list. (laughs) And then I said, well, referrals are great. Do you have a referral system, a methodology with a strategy, with metrics, with skills, with accountability for results? Well, the answer was no in 1996. And it's no today. So yeah. I developed a process to close that gap.
1: That's yeah, a was, short answer. <laughs> yeah, it as a good one. I was talking to a CRO of a company last week and talking about referrals. Asking if they had a referral. He says, yeah, not, don't really have any sort of inbounds. I was like, no, referrals aren't inbounds. <laughs> That's proactive. You gotta go develop those. is like, he just thought they came in across the transom. So anyway, I recommend it. He you read your book, by the way, Jody Geiger. Welcome. And tell us a bit about you.
3: Yeah. Thank you. I am a seasoned seller and sales leader turned coach, uh, professional mm-hmm. coach. And that has led me to join one of my former clients, uh, internally. So now I'm an internal coach. I coach uh, managers as well as individuals on mm-hmm. revenue teams. Uh, obviously, with the goal of empowering them to unlock their you know own potential. Right, and what that gave me through a lot of those conversations was the ability to identify and see themes, see gaps, and help sellers and leaders really connect the dots, which kind of stumbled me into leading the enablement function at clue which is where i work and clue is a competitive enablement software and i think that they're doing something unique in the fact that they believe in investing in their people and they have a coach on staff who's there to support uh, their teams and their sellers because yeah Yeah. the whole person
1: (laughs) yeah yeah how many people in the company
3: are about 250.
1: That's fantastic. I like the fact that they've, they've done that. So you said competitive enablement platform. So what does that mean?
3: Yeah. So simply put, we help sellers execute and close and win more deals, which I think a lot of companies say that. But I think we actually eat our own dog food. We provide competitive insights to sellers. So meaning we meet them where they are. They know what's going on in their competitive landscape. And we basically enable them to educate and influence their customers in the market based on the competitive landscape so that they can make the best decision for them. And so what we believe is that there's this competitive revenue gap that exists out there, meaning that there is an amount of money that you've lost to competitors and not just competitors where there is maybe not the right product solution fit, or maybe there's a prior relationship. Mm-hmm. We're talking about like those tangible deals where they are in your hand. You feel them, you feel like they're going to move forward and they just slip out. Those deals that are one in the margins. And so we know, especially in today's market, that when you can tip those deals in your favor, those are the teams today that are hitting targets in this tough market. And yeah, so that's what we do.
1: Let me ask you a question about that. And this is a philosophical question. This is not a, (laughs) I'm not trying to be contentious and it's about this idea of competitive insights and so on is gosh, was it two weeks ago? Gardner releases a report. Everybody's seen the graphic on LinkedIn as the nine primary factors that influence vendor selection. They're almost all about, if not entirely about the buyer's experience with the seller and there's been other research and I've talked about on the show, a company in Australia named Trinity Perspectives done win loss analysis interviews with enterprise buyers for a dozen plus years. And they summarize their findings from all these thousands of interviews into nine reasons why you win and nine reasons why you lose. And of these 18 reasons, not one was what product or price. Okay. Right. So now we got, and there's other similar data that's out there. So if you're in a competitive deal and they all are competitive by and large, right? Is, Seemingly, if this is what the buyers are using to make their decision, the competition is taking the place on or taking place on the basis of these intangibles, not mm-hmm. they've got this feature and we don't, or they've got this positioning and we don't. They've got th- so it's like is competitive. Where's the value of the competitive intelligence and insights in that case where buyers seemingly aren't really taking those into account when they're making the decisions? Because from the buyers, what they're saying is, look having a competitive product at a competitive price is table stakes. And when all the products basically sort of look alike and also sort of do the same things and cost pretty much the same, take a field like conversational intelligence, right? 40 companies are pull more offer those type of products. We're making our decision based on, as the Gartner said, number one, most imp- single, most important criteria to make a vendor selection, trustworthiness. Number two, how did you sell me? Did you align your selling with the way I wanted to buy? So how does competitive insights give you ammunition as a seller when that's not the basis on which the buyer is making the decision?
3: Yeah, I think it's nuanced. And you're actually speaking our language. <laughs> I feel like that Uh-oh. could be a actually- <laughs> commercial uh, because so we do. I write very
1: expensive. We by the way. Go ahead. Go
3: ahead. Well, we'll see what your competitors are doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, so no, you're totally right. And I think that, so we conduct win-loss interviews for clients and we know that those are some of the key factors. It's trust. It's how you guide me through the buying process. And I think the trust piece is a really critical component If you're a seller and you're telling a vendor, I'm I'm looking at you and evaluating you, and you tell me something that's incorrect about your competitor, or you tell me that something that's incorrect about my landscape or my business, instantly there's a loss in credibility. Mm -hmm. And so the angle that we have here is that you have to not only understand your customer's competitive landscape and risks potentially in their business, but you also have to understand who we're up against. And fascinating stat that we surveyed a, a lot of revenue leaders recently, and 47% of them said that their reps don't notice that there's another competitor in the deal until negotiation stage or later. And often, <laughs> there 13% of them said that reps don't even know who they're competing against or who their competition was, even after the deal closes. And so I think many times as a seller, You're doing your best to create rapport, to do great discovery, to uncover pain. And when you're doing that, you're selling in a vacuum and you're not realizing and increasing the confidence the buyer has of you as an advisor in the market. Mm -hmm. So the second that you understand that landscape, you understand all the possible ways someone can solve the problem that they're facing, including doing nothing, staying with status quo, but you also have to understand what else are other folks offering out there. Right. And I, that's the, that's what we're trying to solve is like up the advisory, up the truth and put our pos- sellers in a position to increase the confidence of the buyer and actually look at the seller as a trusted advisor, not just someone who's going to say something and tell me something, but I actually have to verify it mm-hmm. through other sources. Cause I don't believe it.
1: Yeah. so It would be really useful. I think just to have, cause I'm really believe what I talked about before. And cause my own experience Bore that out over years, selling really large, complex technical communication systems, no technical background. Obviously, team members that had it, but.
3: I saw you had a history degree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same <laughs> yeah, great technical training, but then spent my whole career in tech. And yeah, we won because, not because we had better products and we were the underdogs in almost all cases. Startups selling at big companies, but it was yeah, because again, this buyer experience we created was really the pivotal thing. And it's like, can you measure that in process, right? If you get to some way to sort of measure that with the buyer and say, yeah, where do I really stand with the buyer with regard to trust and credibility and understanding things that are most important to them and providing the right insights? Because to your point before is, then you really understand where you are relative to your odds of winning the business. And I just remember several times work on things and I, big competitors are competing against. And I got to that point where I was like, maybe the customer shared something with me that was, yeah, proprietary quote unquote, propriety, not filing NDAs, but you know, something they weren't sharing with other customers, other competitors, excuse me. And at that point I knew everybody else was fighting for second place. Yeah. Well, if you could sort of figure out when that was right. Cause it had nothing to do with the product. It was just the relationship I had with the person.
3: Yeah. And it's so intangible. I think when you, some fascinating data is that oftentimes why sellers think they won or lost when you actually survey the buyer, it's so off. And oh, so, yeah. the, so the buyers their is-
1: sellers only write 15% of the time that was the study closed did is yeah. yeah. 15% of the time sellers enter the right reason as why they lost in the CRM system. <laughs> so they're wrong. Mm-hmm. 85% of the time. It's like, what are they doing when they're selling? Right. Are you just operating on this, this tunnel vision and I'm just trying to, you know, execute my playbook and you're not paying attention to anything that's going on around you.
3: Totally. And I think this is something that we talk, I was was on a podcast I have called winning as women. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about how uh, critical the, those human skills of building connection and authenticity and trust in these behaviors um, are in a, a selling process and in terms of creating and knowing where you're where you are in a process because somebody will not disclose to you the tough things that they have to say in the tough environment that they're in and facing if you're not demonstrating that vulnerability so i don't know maya if you have any thoughts on that or any contributions there
0: well, first of all, I just want to say you did a great job answering Andy's really tough <laughs> question that he came out with at the gate. I was like, what is she going to say? So beautifully, beautifully done there. And, well done, um, Jody. That yeah.
1: Since you haven't been on one of my shows I mean, before, really, that was the Andy, I just make sure you pass. That was a hard You're ball. you good to go.
0: Real, real hard ball. The second thing is that it's just, and this, I don't want to take us off in too much of a tangent, but Andy, it's interesting that idea of like sellers not really being sure of what it was that, that that won the day. And I often think that's because the way that we often talk about selling and the skills that are acquired for selling are often like these big, broad strokes. And we make the mistake of not really chunking it down into knowable, repeatable behaviors that when collectively put together add up to great selling. Mm-hmm. Like you can say something like, just ask more questions or like your demo should be more of a back and forth, not such a monologue. And sellers are like, okay, like, what do I ask? When do I ask? Like, like, what is the highest impact question that I can ask at what moment in order to kickstart this magical dialogue that we all say should be happening during demos and the kind of air that I've been living and breathing over the last couple of years by taking our inspiration Uh, from how like musicians and athletes develop their skills by chunking things down and breaking them down and then practicing them. What I've found is that really does give sellers more control in a way, more awareness, more confidence. So then they can say, oh, shoot, I didn't use very much collaborative language, let's say, in my agenda. So I didn't quite set the right tone. And I noticed that the buyer was then kind of closed outside the gate. Or I didn't ask them in my agenda. Again, if we're thinking about how to kickstart a call, what else do you want to make sure we talk about? Or what else Mm -hmm. is important to you? That's a great question to ask at the end of delivering an agenda. And if a seller, let's say, can learn a framework or learn a behavior that exists in a specific moment in a call, know what good looks like, then suddenly they can point to those behaviors happening or not happening when they're reviewing their gong recordings or whatever with their manager. So that's, that's something I would say that gives folks more control. Yeah.
1: Right. But I think the knock-on effects too from this being focused on the buyer experience, right? Instead of pitching your product and so on, is yeah, how's the buyer experience about going to come through this process? Talk about getting referrals, right, Joanne? If you manage to get the business without the, sort of a real good buying experience, which certainly happens from time to time, your odds, I think, of getting a referral go down substantially. And now a message from Closed. An often overlooked way to improve your win rate is to identify and close win-back opportunities. After conducting tens of thousands of buyer interviews, Closed has found that 10% of closed-loss deals have the potential to be won back at some point in the future. Now, identifying these win-back opportunities early and knowing when and how to follow up could be worth millions. Closed recently helped one of their customers identify and win a $500,000 win-back opportunity within days of it being marked as Closed Lost. Closed automatically reached out to perform a win-loss interview when the deal was marked closed-loss in the CRM, and the buyer said, Well, actually, we're still interested and we're ready to sign the contract. Closed is finding win-back deals on a daily basis for their clients. How about for you? To help you get started receiving the value of consistent, direct, candid feedback from your buyers, Closed is offering all my listeners a free gift. Just go to winlostoolkit.com and they'll send you a bunch of valuable tools to help you get your win-loss program started. The toolkit includes a comprehensive guide to running a successful win-loss program, an ROI calculator, and they'll even perform your first win-loss interview for free to help you see the value of getting feedback directly from your buyers. So to claim your gift, visit winlostoolkit.com. That's winlostoolkit.com. And now a message from a Lego. Are you struggling to make your sales team more efficient and improve time to productivity? With Alego's modern revenue enablement platform, marketing, sales, and enablement teams get on the same page for continuous improvement. So break through all the noise and deliver the buying experiences that your buyers today demand. Enable faster ramp times for your rep and more revenue for your business in less time. See how it all can work for you. Go to alego.com demo. That is alego.com demo.
2: Well, you talked about trust and relationships and and competition. So here's the thing that everybody loves referrals. And the fact is, no one's asking their clients for a lot of reasons. but when you get that introduction to your prime prospect, they know why to meet because who's ever introduced you have told you that the business reason for the introduction. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking to that person, you already have trust and credibility already earned because the trust that person has for the person who introduced you transfers to you. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very different kind of conversation. It's not who are you, what you want to talk about. It's always had so-and-so and this and that. And what I found over the years is I call that person, my prime prospect. Well, you get personal. I always know what's going on because we Mm -hmm. have the inside track,
1: right? And the fact is,
2: yeah, we have the, the, because we're told that we have colleagues and we're introduced to people without even a beat missing. It's so powerful.
1: And you have the confidence to ask the questions when, you know, you have that trust and credibility, you have the confidence to ask the questions that Other people might be afraid to.
2: Well, what, to ask for the introduction or ask for the questions?
1: Even ask how we're doing, right? Where do we stand in the scheme of things? Like Maya talked about, sometimes customers won't tell you. It's like, well, ask. I find if you have the right relationship with the buyer, ask how we're doing, they'll tell you.
2: I always would ask when I work for these consulting firms, what's my competition? And they always told me, except one, never said, I'm not telling you. (laughs) But we were one of two and et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't ask, you don't get, right? Well, if you have a question, you ask. People are glad to share information. Well, that's the most of the time we're not asking. We haven't learned. We're afraid of the no and all of that.
1: Right. 15% of the time sellers are right about why they lost a deal. It's because they're not asking, right? All the way through is yeah, who else are are we competing against? What are the things that are really important to you? What are Getting a status, I'm just when I saw that figure and learned that figure, I was like, on one hand, not surprised, but on the other hand, shocked. Right. The, but
0: Andy, I have a question for you. Are you talking yep. about like they're not sure about what external factors went into losing the deal, like competitor, or price, or it's that they, they mark, don't know their own per- selling performance? What led to losing the deal?
1: All of it. When they mark a reason, the study was when we mark a reason and Salesforce, whatever CRM, why we lost. And then they went and talked to the buyer. Why did you pick somebody else? Well, they only seller only was right fifteen percent of the time.
0: I'd be shocked if in any CRM is I didn't sell well. <laughs> oh,
1: I'm but sure. But I do air.
0: think <laughs> no. But that's so. That's the thing. That's the thing. So this is really interesting, right? Is that like yeah. we're talking about sales as though it's just this thing, but it's made up of all of these smaller motions, right. all of these smaller behaviors, and when, when we're able to equip sellers with the awareness and the knowledge of what those are and some practice let's say as being an effective thing suddenly it does become clear why the deal is lost and it's not always because of things like budget and competitors it's usually because of this the, the usually selling as right right the selling
3: yeah
1: one of my favorite stories and I wrote about this in my second book it says yeah, got on a train here in, in New York City and Penn Station I was going to Boston to visit my daughter and it was the last day of the month And just before the train takes off, some young guy in a suit comes rushing on the train, sits on the chair in the seat in front of me and gets on the phone. And I'm sort of not trying to eavesdrop, but I can sort of hear the words. And it's like, oh my God, he's in sales. Last day of the month, he didn't close the deal. He had promised his boss he was going to close. And he was going through this litany of things, reasons why it didn't happen, and so on. I start taking notes while I was listening. And that gets to the end. And I thought this was priceless. As he said, Well, the buyers were just liars. (laughs) And I thought, oh, yeah, I'd like to see how you're doing overall in sales.
0: Can I just want to say one other thing and then I'll stop talking so much. But like, I think we've got to have empathy for sellers who have not been informed about what good selling looks like. Right. Like, because what is great selling? It's like what other profession? Well, there I could break it down. We can talk about all of the individual skills, but before I do, before we go down that road, it's like when you think about a, a football player or a tennis swing or whatever, or a concert. Like it's made up of all these parts, and you practice them because sell, musicians and athletes go in knowing what good looks like, so they have more control and more confidence, and then they're able to mm-hmm. assess with their coaches if they've done a good job. I feel terrible, and my heart goes out to most sellers who are thrown in the pit and told sell, build relationship. Right. We discover pain and it's almost like this defense, like oh, the buyers were liars, but no one has told them what they can be doing and should be doing. So though it's easy to blame sellers for being so wrong about why they lost a deal or for blaming buyers, it's like we as enablers, as coaches, as managers can do a much better job at helping to demonstrate and show them what great looks like at every stage so that they have more confidence and control. And yeah, more effective. Wasn't, yeah, right, I
1: wasn't criticizing somebody for losing. Is for being incurious Defended. about
0: why.
1: Oh, curious yeah, yeah. about why they lost, right?
0: To be scared, yeah. like, scared, helpless, yeah. helpless.
1: But I think I would say that's still a lack of curiosity. We're in a business that's fundamentally based on self-improvement, right? You're going to get a certain amount of training, but by and large, in the course of your sales career, your progress is going to be mostly helped by things you do proactively to learn something new and to experiment with something different and see the results and experiment with other things. So it requires a certain level of curiosity about that. That's the thing that shocked me about that 15% that only 15% were right. It's like, how can you operate in that environment and just be, have so little curiosity about what's actually going on with the buyer?
3: So here's a hot take on that. because sure. I, <laughs> I agree with Maya in the sense that it's not easy to sell, especially today. It's not easy to sell. And I also agree. And I I read something that you had said previously, Andy, about it's that take responsibility for your own learning, take responsibility for Mm -hmm. your own development. And I think we all know, particularly I would say like three of us as women here, it's like you walk into a room and when you're a, as an IC or an individual contributor, you're not necessarily the thermostat. You're more the thermometer. And so my hot take here is, is it easy to walk into a room and demonstrate curiosity when that environment is not yes. curious and leaders are not setting that tone? And that's a lesson that I think. I have learned, we have learned within this last year as an organization is, are we setting people up for success? Well, are the leaders and are all of us getting down side-by-side side in the work, in the customer conversations, understanding what it's like? Are we side-by-side side with them or are we sitting off to the side and judging? And I think the inspect what you expect. It's really easy as a leader to say, I'm not a micromanager, and then look at results in the spreadsheet at the end of the day and go, why? Well, no one's performing. That's your fault. And then we're like, sellers, just be curious <laughs> But the reason why. Anyway, I just think it's a, it's a tone at the top thing that we need to change.
1: Yeah, and that's part of the culture that needs to change, yeah. right? Is the reason I think people are lacking, or actually, no, I wouldn't say lacking, is they, they feel like they don't have permission to be curious. And we train curiosity out of people, by and large, right? Here's the playbook. Just follow the playbook. Here's the process. Just follow the process. Enough with the questions. All right. Just do what you're supposed to be doing. And you know, that's not only happening in a, a business environment unfortunately, that unfortunately comes happens as people are being raised and the parents will say the same thing as we take people and we sort we have this need for conformity. And we're going to train the curiosity right out of you. Cause if you're curious, you're disruptive. And there's a study that was done by box of crayons, a consulting company run by Michael Bungay-Stanier in Toronto and about curiosity and about how it's really, they you know, found it's people that ask a lot of questions are considered to be disruptive. So they learn to keep their mouths shut, but then they go into environments where the curiosity is really a paramount necessity and they keep their mouth shut.
2: Andy, I used to say years ago that new sellers were given a phone book and a desk And then let them add it. (laughs) Now they're given, but they probably already have a phone and a password. (laughs) And I actually was at a presentation a bunch of years ago, and this person was talking about sales meetings and new employees. And he said, never ever do a product dump at a training. What you need to do is talk about your buyer. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: so that new employees understand the buyer." what motivates them, et cetera. And then how would you have will solve a problem because unless somebody has a problem, none of us would be in business and that isn't happening. So you can teach product with your eyes closed, not quite, but you know what I mean? But the yep. interactive skills, the understanding, the buyer is what is missing.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think of <laughs> my, my expressions is we do a good job of training Humans ought to be sellers, but we don't do a good job of training sellers how to be human. And this Mm -hmm. is the part that's really missing is helping people understand that this is a business first and foremost about connecting with other human beings, right? Is we can't build our credibility and trust unless we have that ability to establish some sort of of connection with someone. Then once we build some trust, then we earn the right to get the answers to the questions we want that uh, perhaps go beyond the superficial. But Mm -hmm. where's anybody training somebody other than maya's organization well jody
0: too i've got to say jody really thinks a lot about this yeah and joanne i can't i don't i I, i'm not as familiar with you as i am jody's work but but this idea of reminding people of their humanity but also creating if there's not a place on a team for you to show up in your full humanity how are because of leadership how are we then to expect people to just turn on their curiosity and their humanity on calls with prospects right so i really think that Mm -hmm. As Jody mentioned, that it it's it starts with our, our sales culture really, team culture right. to give permission to people. Because we are all innately curious. All of us as human Absolutely. beings are curious in our lives about something. But when it isn't safe to be curious, mm-hmm. we shut it down. Yeah. Right. I'm
3: totally.
0: just gonna jump into something
3: tactical about that. Like something that I feel like I've learned recently is we've like I'm sure like May I, Joanne, your trainers, you know how to teach people things. I'm newer to that game. <laughs> I know how to talk to people about things and talk them into doing something, <laughs> but uh, teaching that's newer for me. And what was really fascinating for me is last summer, We, when I, when we kind of started up and said, okay, let's build this enablement thing and let's put some frameworks in place for folks to, to learn. Cause we're a series B stage company where, you know, still only a couple hundred employees. Things are where we had the first great sales team and then you add in a management layer and now it's time to like, oh geez, we got to actually formalize some of this. And a, a lesson I learned was that you can't just go, here's a framework, follow it. It works, right? And now our approach is actually the what good looks like. We are, you watch a ton of calls, um, you're listening to what sellers are doing and you're trying to look for themes. And the biggest lesson, this is the lesson right here, is that, which I I think will be old news to, to you all, but it's the labeling of the behavior or like the skill that's required or the stage that's required. Actually putting a label on that sets the context. or like, that's the framework. And the way that, that I've found to make this a little bit more digestible and the, the sellers to be open to it, it's you do it based on what their calls and their experience. And you're going, hey, I watched 60 of your calls in the last month across the team. I'm noticing that in every one of these calls in this moment in a sales cycle, everyone is doing this thing. And I'm going to add the language or the label to this thing. And now we know, and we have a library of what good looks like and the sessions that we can have around practice and discussion and dialogue to go a bit deeper about what's working and what isn't. But that labeling is, is so critical yeah. from my experience because what we were saying before is you show up with a phone book and we go sell, okay. And then there's the opposite. Here's the rigid framework, fall, fall into it. Um, or to experience sellers, no, that's not my way, right? We have to be somewhere in the middle where we go, this is what's working for us. This is ours. This is what good looks like. And we know bumped up against external validation and methodologies and research that it's actually called this and you're doing that so well. Let's enable other folks to do that thing that you're so strong at. Let's see them and highlight you doing that thing and have others be inspired to test it, try it, practice it.
1: So I don't know if you can. Beautiful. If there's a, yeah, thank you. I don't know if there's a answer to this question, but it's like, so what does good look like in general in sales? What is good? Yeah, I know there's context behind that, but um, always, I'm curious, Yeah, you know, what people think great selling, you may have used the term before. great selling. What is, what does great selling look like? Give me the answer initially in 10 words or less. What's great selling?
0: Well, what I would say is yeah. Good. Joanne. Sorry. Go ahead.
2: It's one word. Unless you have a relationship with someone and you trust each other, nothing's going to happen. And that's it's a professional skill. I don't like when people call it soft skills because there's nothing soft about it.
1: Right, right. It's a professional
2: skill. (laughs) (laughs) And that it can it be taught? Yes. Takes a little effort, but it can be taught because unless you have a relationship, absolutely nothing happens unless you're selling a widget. But if you're in a complex sale. And you're not selling something that's tangible, you better have a good relationship because that person will give you the inside track of everything that's happening mm-hmm. in the company. And I and in your win loss, Andy, maybe I've heard other win loss. Why did you why did you pick us? And at the last consulting firm I worked for, mm-hmm. somebody who wasn't involved in the sale, an executive? debriefed with a client why did you pick us well it was a relationship we liked your people we knew we could work with them mm-hmm. and there's a another study that was done because this big consulting firm was losing business and they had to figure out why mm-hmm. well it turned out most of their buyers were women And the women wanted to see the person they'd be dealing with. Right. The actual person.
1: Yep, yep, yep.
2: So they flew somebody over from someplace in Asia, and that person was there, and they won the deal. Mm -hmm. So it's knowing the makeup of the group and what's important. And we as women make decisions a little differently from men, no matter Mm -hmm. our level. Right. Right. And so it's really relationships. Yes. But then it goes layer, but without that, you don't get a win.
1: Yeah. And it extends beyond just the salesperson too, right? It's the relationships throughout the organization. If you're selling anything with sort any of right. complexity, you have multiple touch points with the buyer and, or people on the buying side. They're all important. Does it, this gets to the point of culture is everybody has to sort of have this perspective that yeah. When I interact with somebody on the customer side, this is. It's a sales call. It may not be a sales call. Maybe a support call, but it's really a sales call for a renewal or whatever. And you really have to have that perspective of well, what's the impression I'm creating in the mind of this individual. And this was driven home to me years and years ago as my biggest company in the Bay Area and running this division. And our biggest the CEO of our biggest client was coming to visit. And so he shows up in the lobby downstairs. We're all <laughs> dressed in our tie, suit and tie. And Waiting for him. first word out of his mouth is, where's Eileen? We're all looking at each other. said, you mean Eileen and customer support? Yeah, where's Eileen? <laughs> I said, okay, follow me. So my CEO, chairman of the board with us and my company with me, and we go follow him and go up, see Eileen in her cubicle. And the CEO of the client turns around and goes, I just want to let you know, she's why we still continue to buy from you. It's just like, oh, yeah, okay. But the CEO in that company that I was working for at the time did a great job of empowering people to say, look, you're in sales. And we talk with somebody, that's, we're all involved in this. And it's a cultural thing. And now, a word from Cognizant. Picture this, your revenue team armed with accurate B2B contact data that leaves missed opportunities and unreachable prospects in the past. Look no further than Cognizm, the B2B contact data provider that stands out with unwavering focus on data quality and coverage. Cognizm's U.S. dataset alone offers two times more cell phone numbers than any other provider on the market. And it gets even better. Seven million human verified cell phone numbers backed by a 98 percent accuracy rate deliver precision like you've never seen before. And if international business growth is on the horizon, Cognizm offers the most complete GDPR compliant data in Europe. Making your expansion dreams more attainable than ever. Customers like Drift have already experienced the power of Cognizm. In just 30 days, they proved ROI and now book 70% of their outbound meetings using Cognizm's cell phone data. But don't take our word for it, get a free data sample and test the quality for yourself. Head over to cognism.com data sample to get your free data sample today. That's cognism.com data sample.
2: I found the definition of culture because that's a big word.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And it was this. Culture's what happens when people aren't looking.
1: Yep. Character is what happens when people aren't looking, but it's the same thing, yes.
3: Because Clue conducts win-loss interviews as well, and we do them on ourselves. And the most fascinating thing about the reason we win are people, like our team, hands down, and mm-hmm. we always joke that internally, what are we doing? And it's like it's all about the vibes, and <laughs> we make it a joke. It's like we, it's we want. What do we want to, the marketing team, in particular? It's like what do we want to do externally? What do we want customers to know us for? It's like vibes, obviously. And then what's funny is I was just in a in a purchase process with a couple of vendors, and I found myself thinking and almost like knowing in my gut the tools, they seemed the same to the point mm-hmm. they weren't asking me who else was in the deal to that point. They didn't know right. and didn't want to know what competition looked like. But I found myself unable to really differentiate product-wise. I said to them, they started out wildly different in price. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I said, I need you both to be here, like this way lower place, instantly, they're bo- they're all there. We're right. talking X multiples of discounts. And then I found myself thinking what am I, they're like, you're going to make a decision based on ROI. And I'm like, in my head, no, it's on Vibes. Gotcha. Like, I want to know that when my team uses this tool and reaches out and needs some support or that we're partnering with you in this, we want to know that you're our kind of people. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it's about. <laughs> so it's, it is funny how important, especially in the state that we're at right now with the quick, such quick evolution in technology and advancement, that what can we do as humans? It's connect with humans, right?
1: No argument for me. As <laughs> people have read my books, they know. Actually, May, I, weren't you holding a copy of my book?
0: Well, I was just thinking, looking at, you were asking what great looks like, or great, great selling looks like, and looking at some of these concepts, like the idea of be be interested, right? Mm-hmm. Be interested, be interesting, or be a good human, or connection is the building block of influence. Those are all, I think we all here agree, that's great selling. Mm-hmm. And all Sell, humans have the ability to do that in some facet of their life where we can help sellers to be better at that is to break it, to break down, to you know, even pick them up. Like connection is the building block of influence. So it's like, where are the moments in a sales conversation where we might mm-hmm. want to kickstart something called connection? Let's say, right. or just locate that. Right? right. And let's say it's the top of the call. I don't know. That's one place connection is sure. happening all throughout. And then it's like, all right, what are the things that people do to build connection? Some people might say it's they talk about the weather and golf. That's fine. That's never been my way. Some people say it's about establishing credibility so that people feel trust. Whatever it is, there there are various approaches. But the benefit of identifying the moment where the thing is happening and then showing people what specifically they can do to achieve connection or interest or being interesting is really, to my mind, what can help people to feel more confidence and control around their selling. So I think big picture, we're all in agreement here that like the best sales skills are the best sales skills because they're the best human skills. There's no differentiator there, but helping people to get better at it requires that pointing naming, like Jody said, and awareness and practice.
1: Well, it requires companies to invest in the type of training. Oh. It's called training yeah. that touches on those things. The fact is if we look at most trainings that takes place within organizations, sales training, it's be some form of product training. And <laughs> I like to use the sort of the metaphor. it's like pouring water into a cup that's full. We give people all that training. Could we do a little more? Yeah, probably, but I think the incremental training that most companies provide to the sellers isn't designed to make them better. You know, it's sort of reinforcement of some things, but like you're talking about, Maya, is, is, yeah, let's have a training program that's really focused on how do you learn how to connect with someone, right? How do we build this, establish this relationship and this, as I said, connection with someone that enables us to open the door to building our credibility and our trust. I don't know.
0: See very few people. It's so interesting because the truth is even outside of like the softer, though I agree, Joanne, they're not soft skills of like trust building and connection. I think that the thing with the big problem, I guess, or opportunity that lies in sales training is no matter what you're teaching, at least incorporate how people actually learn if you're wanting them to do the thing you're teaching. So whether or not it's a hard tactical skill or a soft skill, Human beings just don't learn by being told something and then magically they're able to regurgitate Mm -hmm. and do it in the moment. So part of what I know Jody gets really fired up about as well is like creating that safe and messy place where people can take the knowledge from the book, from the podcast, from the LinkedIn conversation, try it on for size where the when the pressure is not on, slowly, awkwardly change the wording, whatever it is they need to do to build their confidence and get in there at bats, so that come game time. That knowledge has gone through the process of being transferred into practice and a little bit of early skill and they're able to, to do it. Every other discipline out there n- just knows that it'd be unthinkable to think about a musician or a, an, an athlete like not having practice. But for some reason, that just hasn't been the status quo with the best of intentions. I think about all the, the how big the enablement community is with people putting on these really thoughtful, true trainings with great information insert a little bit of trying it on for size at bats in the right environment where people feel safe to learn, all of a sudden you get much more ROI from whatever you're training on, be it a soft or a hard skill, yeah. I would say.
3: Yeah. It's, what, right. it's, what it's making me think of um, is that it's all about awareness because in this environment, man, I'm not sure if you're finding this, but I know within our teams, it is so hard to want to take your eye off the selling ball and deal execution ball to make the space to practice, yeah. right? And so For me, I go to my coaching hat and it's all about creating awareness. So what happens when you're stressed out and you don't have space in your calendar and you feel like you're burnt out? The first step is bringing awareness to your energy levels and then your time and noticing what you're feeling in your body. And just it's an awareness piece. And where that translates to sales for me is that sellers are going from one deal to another deal and many juggling many at once. I think it's so rare for someone to look at what they're doing and saying, you're doing this and you're doing this and let's call it that and bring awareness to that, do more of that. And that's the thing that like I'm focused on right now. It's just the awareness piece. Like notice where you're strong, notice what you're doing and do more of it.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Logically it makes a lot of sense, right?
0: Yeah. And <laughs> practically and in practice, Andy.
1: Yeah. But that's always the gap, right? And unfortunately we're running so short on time, but reconvene and we'll continue the conversation later is just we have all these things that we're doing and yet we see the statistics about what's happening in sales in terms of falling performance levels, for falling win rate levels and so on. It's like, well, sure, we're talking these games, but it's not really showing up in the end result with the buyer making the decisions and the frequency that we want. And I think that's the big challenge for sales. It's the raison d'etre for this podcast. It always goes
2: back to management, doesn't it, Andy?
1: Well, Yeah,
2: People do what they're accountable for doing. And we see that. We see all the cold outrage, the supposed voicemails, the the junk emails we get every day. If they're accountable, that's what they'll do. And management, I have found, doesn't have the time or they don't make the time.
1: There's that for sure.
2: For the accountability. And I had someone years ago say to me, Joanne, the challenge is always in the execution. And that's where everything falls apart. Well, in fact, yeah. I've started building, building that in to my process. Three months, six months, whatever, I was dealing with a, a new client. And mm-hmm. I said, I always build in an extra three months. And one of the guys said, oh, we should have six months. And the other one said, I think you should build in a year. They just don't make the time because they're also accountable for other things and they need to get their heads out of spreadsheets and oh, for sure. for pay sure. attention to the people.
1: Right, but also I, I, would just, I would just add one last thing to that about accountability is I think where we've gone too far in the last 10, 15 years, which has been damaging to sales, is the accountability is equated to conformity. And if there's a million salespeople in the world there's a million unique ways to sell. And it's really the responsibility, I think, of sales managers, because it's not like they're managing frontline sales managers, managing that many people, is we need to be able to enable them and teach the managers, say, look, your job is to help each person become the best version of themselves. And that's going to be a slightly different than the person sitting next to them. But if we can work on that, then yes, they're accountable for the same end product results. The path may be a little bit different. You know, we're still within a framework, but within that framework, Everybody's going to bring their unique skills and strengths to bear in order to become the best version of themselves, which should translate into more success at what they're doing. All right. All said. I get to end the show for once. Great. Okay. Everybody, please. Maya, how can people get in touch with you? Learn more about Practice Lab.
0: Well, one day I'll be more active on LinkedIn again. I used to be, but the Practice I will again. The Practice is a place. And if anyone's wanting to come for free monthly sales skill practice, it's a practice lab.co slash club. I believe you can come and join us and we do a new skill every month and it's awesome and you get a taste of it. So,
1: all right, perfect. Jody.
3: Yeah, I suppose LinkedIn, Jody M. Geiger and the other place to hear more about what I think if you're interested, <laughs> the winning is women podcast that we have available perfect. on Skill site or throughs Compete Network.
1: Excellent. All right. And Joanne.
2: So my
3: email is Joanne, that's
2: J-O-A-N-N-E at nomorecoldcalling.com and I'm very active on LinkedIn and I'd love for you to invite me to join you on LinkedIn but with a personal message so (laughs) I know you you heard our conversation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And don't include text about how you can get her 20 more meetings a week. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for taking the time to join, especially on a late on a Friday evening for some of you. Thank you and look forward to doing it all again. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode of the WinRate Podcast. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of this show. and I want to thank my guests, Maya Rose, Joanne Black, and Jody Geiger for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast to the WinRate Podcast with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called Win Rate Wednesday. Each week on Wednesday, you'll receive an actionable tip that you can put to use in your selling, become a more effective seller, and to accelerate your win rates. Again, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.